You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hello, and what is up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. As always, I am your host, Keaton, and I apologize for this episode being uh, quite a bit late. (laughs) I've had my head down for a while, hadn't gotten an episode out, felt bad, so here we are. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. There's been um, a a lot of newsworthy stories that have come out uh, within the last two weeks that we absolutely need to cover starting first off with Beto O'Rourke if you haven't heard has dropped out of the presidential race yeah I know it's it's such a surprise that running on gun confiscation and telling the American people hell yes we're gonna go take your guns isn't a winning strategy (laughs) turns out that doesn't win over a whole lot of people so let's go ahead and listen in to the uh, the audio that we have of the Beto supporters and gun grabbers everywhere reacting to this very tragic news. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping. Truly a tragic end to a campaign to what could only be compared to a dumpster fire slowly rolling into a fireworks stand. Just a f- horrible flaming mess that ended in what could be cause for uh, celebration. <laughs> so Beto O'Rourke is out in fantastic style. Ugh. Who, who Have you seen a campaign? I, I, I was listening to several different podcasts this week, and they were kind of talking over Beto, but it is true. The guy had enormous media attention when he first launched his presidential campaign. And for what reason? I'm not really sure. I mean, he ran a close Senate race in Texas, which I guess is kind of impressive on its face, I suppose. But th- this guy had enormous media attention, and the end result was this this was the white obama this was the guy who campaigned on gun confiscation and look he even campaigned on like um he promised to have a woman vice president he's like absolutely i'm gonna have a woman vice president women need more voice in politics and in the world today so absolutely, I'm going to select a woman vice president. There's no question. And I know Dave Smith over on Part of the Problem brought up a great question to that, a follow-up question being like, well, if women need more voice in politics and around the world, why are you running? Why would you absolutely choose a woman vice president? Why don't you just get out of her way if that's so important? <laughs> why are you here by your own standards? It's a great question. Fantastic question. But we don't have to worry about that anymore because he is done. And it sounds like he's actually not going to run for re-election in the uh, Senate either. But I wouldn't 
Mm, I wouldn't completely rule that out. He may be talked back into uh, challenging Ted Cruz once again for the Senate. Who knows? Who knows? Let's go on to talk about another Democratic candidate with Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren was in the news because she finally released her health care plan, her Medicare for all plan. And what what did it entail? (laughs) Oh, my God. We all know that this Medicare for all stuff, we've all seen the projections of Bernie's plan, trillions and trillions of dollars. What could Elizabeth Warren's plan cost? Estimated cost by her own her own campaign. What is her own campaign saying this thing is going to cost? Well, it turns out her own plan is going to cost roughly from her own campaign's estimates around fifty two trillion dollars. Yeah, that's actually a real number. So this is from the National Review. The title, uh, Warren Reveals $52 Trillion Medicare for All Plan and Still Claims No Middle Class Tax Increase Necessary to Pay for It. She's still... I mean, in my last episode, I showed you uh, the uh, the line that she, she gave during the Democratic debates where Bernie Sanders, at least he's front and forward saying, yeah, taxes are going to go up. That's how this works. You're going to have to pay for it more in taxes. That's how all that's how this is going to work. She refuses. Warren refuses to say that middle class taxes are going to go up. So the start of the article says Senator Elizabeth Warren unveiled a Medicare for all plan on Friday that will cost nearly 52 trillion dollars over the next 10 years. And she claims that it will not require any middle class tax increases. The proposal would be funded by roughly 20 trillion dollars in taxes on employers, financial transactions and super wealthy corporations over the next decade. Existing federal and state spending would account for the remaining 30 trillion dollars in costs quote we don't need to raise taxes on the middle class by one penny to finance medicare for all oh my god when fully implemented my approach to medicare for all would mark one of the greatest federal expansions of the middle class wealth in our history And if Medicare for all can be financed without any new taxes on the middle class and instead by asking giant corporations and the wealthy and the well-connected to pay their fair share, that's exactly what we should do. Warren would impose a $9 trillion, would impose $9 trillion in new Medicare taxes on employers over the next decade, which she claims will replace what employers currently pay for employer health insurance. The plan includes supplemental uh, employer Medicare contribution, another tax, on top of large corporations if the Medicare plan risks running out of funds. See, this is the thing is Medicare right now as it stands is insolvent. It's running out of money. It's a system that is failing and running out of money, failing what it's supposed to do. And the answer is not... See, this is why government is not an effective system to run these types of markets. It's not an effective system at all, but especially if you start to get involved in something like healthcare. What incentive does government have to get better? When you have, 
you're like, you might be asking, well, I mean, of course they would want it to get better, right? Well, show me an example of a government program failing and then getting better over time. Because I can give you examples of the VA, Medicare, Social Security, all these systems that are failing and insolvent, they're running out of money, and the answer is to just dump more money into it. The private sector cannot do that. If it fails, it fails. It goes under. The only way the private sector stays afloat if a business fails and goes under, the only way it stays afloat is with government subsidies and handouts and buyouts, bailouts. That's what happened in the crash in 2008. They bailed out the banks. All these people just bailing out these corporations that should have gone under because of the way they were running their business. Absolutely unbelievable. There is no way that you can have this type of system without a 60% tax hike, at least on the middle class. 60% at least. And then, of course, this is a government program, so prices are going to continue to go up. Name me a government program where the costs go down. So it's only going to get worse from here. $52 trillion. That's what Elizabeth Warren's campaign is saying that it will cost. Many other uh, economic, uh, economic advisors and analysts say that this could cost much more. Add another 10 to $20 trillion on top of that. 62 to $72 trillion. Dude, this cannot work. Cannot work. This is the thing about the the Democrats, well, and Republicans. They think that you can just spend unlimited amounts of money with no consequences at all. That's just the way things work. Spending will only continue to grow out of control. 2020 will be no different. It's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. How do I know this? There's there's literally no hope for this thing getting cut. Spending is not getting cut. It's only going to continue until it pops and bursts. And then it's going to be real bad. But how do I know it's going to continue? Because the Senate just rejected Rand Paul's effort to cut spending. And it's not even a cut in spending. This was... So the Senate on Monday rejected an effort by Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky to place an across the board spending cut in domestic funding pack in a domestic funding package debated by lawmakers. The senators voted 24 to 67 on the amendment from Paul, which would reduce spending by 2% compared to fiscal 2019 levels. 2%. 24 to 67 vote against it. The amendment had Paul had Paul been successful would have been added to a spending package that includes commerce, science and justice, transportation and housing and urban development, agriculture and interior. So this is added on top of a spending. So this is what Rand Paul does. 
Okay, because these people keep voting for more and more spending where he's just like, what Rand Paul will do is like, okay, I can't get him to stop spending, but what I can do is at least try and even the cost. Okay, so if you want to spend another $200 billion on something, we got to cut $200 billion of something. So that's what he's doing here. Okay, well, if you're just going to allocate more funds to something, we we need to trim the fat. Let's at least level the field to where we're not adding on top of our debt. Just keeping it the same. (laughs) And these people vote against it. Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont, a Democrat, the top Democrat on the Senate Appropriations Committee, urged Senator to oppose Paul's amendment. He said, quote, his amendment will slash spending below the bipartisan budget act that we all negotiated. Jeez. Like I said, there's no hope. Rand Paul can't even can't even pass a two percent cut. That wouldn't even it wouldn't even really cut into the budget. It's just trying to even out with the spending. That's it. He's not even going deeper than what they were trying to spend in the first place. He's just trying to even out the numbers. Unbelievable. We're screwed. We're so screwed, guys. I mean, we are. We are. It's only a matter of time. In no way does this end well, at all. Uh, yikes. Ooh, let's let's move on to uh, probably the biggest story, um, which is really kind of broken into two separate stories because some more information has come out about Jeffrey Epstein. And I love, I, before we get into this, I love how the internet has kept this story alive. I really do. Like the memes on the internet, the, the internet community will not let this story be buried and go away. They have kept this thing going and going and going. And I love that they're, that they're the establishment, these people that are trying to protect these powerful elites connected to this horrible person. The internet is not letting them get away with this and try and bury the story. So the first update that came out was, uh, this is from Fox news here. Jeffrey Epstein's autopsy more consistent with homicidal strangulation than suicide. Dr. Michael Baden reveals So I'm going to read a little bit of this article here. Something we already, everyone's really speculated. There's no way in hell that this guy just hung himself. The body of disgraced money man and sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, who was found dead in his Manhattan, Manhattan federal prison cell in August, bore telltale signs of homicide despite an official ruling that he killed himself. A pioneering forensic forensic pathologist revealed to Fox and Friends an exclusive interview on Wednesday. The bombshell claimed by Dr. Michael Baden, a former New York City medical examiner who has worked on high-profile cases during a five-decade medical career, is certain to reignite suspicions that surfaced immediately after Epstein, who was awaiting trial to <clears throat> awaiting trial on federal sex trafficking charges involving underage girls, was discovered dead in his cell on August the 10th. 
Baden, who was hired by Epstein's brother and observed the autopsy, told Fox News its findings are more consistent with homicidal strangulation than suicidal hanging. He noted that the 66-year-old Epstein had two fractures on the left and right sides of his larynx, specifically the thyroid cartilage, or the Adam's apple, as well as one fracture on the left hyoid bone on the Adam's apple, Baden told Fox News. Quote, those three fractures are extremely unusual in suicidal hangings and could occur much more commonly in homicidal strangulation. While there's not enough information to be conclusive yet, the three fractures were rare, said Baden, who probed cases involving involving O.J. Simpson, President John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and record producer Phil Spector. I've not seen in 50 years where that has occurred in suicidal hanging, the 85-year-old medical legend told Fox News. Baden, who's examined more than 20,000 bodies and hosted HBO's autopsy, explained that if a person weighed 120 pounds and their head weighed 10 pounds, there would be 110 pounds of pressure on the neck at the jaw during the hanging. But if someone puts a hand around a person's neck and squeezed, that could double or even triple the pressure on the neck. There were also signs of hemorrhages in Epstein's eyes that were common in homicidal strangulation and uncommon, though not unheard of, in suicidal hangings. See, I didn't even hear about this, about the hemorrhages in his eyes, which is apparently more common in strangulation. See, all of this is coming out, guys. Listen to this. The medical examiner is even like, yeah, I don't know. The the bones broken in his neck, the hemorrhages in his eyes, this looks more akin to homicidal strangulation. Which if you listen to our episode um, talking about Epstein, I believe I was talking to my friend Matt Bell, the guards who were outside of his uh, cell, the, uh, the guards outside of his cell ran into his cell. Apparently, they, uh, the other inmates around Epstein's cell saw the guards run into his cell. There's no video because the video camera screwed up. It just broke. They don't have any video. But they see the guards run into Epstein's cell and they heard yelling and screaming. And they, were, they heard the guards yell, Epstein, 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 breathe, Epstein, breathe. Which many people were concluding that they were yelling these things and constantly yelling his name, constantly telling him to breathe, to cover up the signs of strangulation. To cover up any signs of him trying to yell for help. But that's not, that was the first story that came out. And this week, probably the biggest story that has broken in this so far, James O'Keefe with Project Veritas broke an insane story this week. Project Veritas has recordings of Good Morning America host Amy Robach saying on a hot mic that ABC buried the Epstein story all the way back in 2016, three years ago. 
they have her on a hot mic saying that they buried the Epstein story. Now I'm going to play the, the project Veritas video. You can find this on YouTube and listen to it for yourself. All very, very interesting stuff. And ABC is in hot water right now with this latest, um, video leak. Just take a listen to this. It's a few minutes long, but my jaw dropped when I listened to this and threatened us a million different ways. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. That's tape leaked to us by our latest network insider. This brave insider works at ABC News. ABC News anchorwoman Amy Robach is talking to her producer on a hot mic. She says she had the Jeffrey Epstein story three years ago and her bosses at ABC News spiked it. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail. And now it's all coming out. And it's like these new revelations. And I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh, my God, we it was um, what, what we had was unreal. Our insider told us this tape was recorded earlier this year in late August, a day or so after this NPR report came out, sharply criticizing ABC News for not broadcasting the Robach Jufre interview years ago. ABC has episodically covered the scandal, yet the interview was never broadcast, and Jufre says she was never told why. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago saying, like, aunt, like, we, there will come a day where we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. And I had it all three years ago. Well, then I got a little concerned about why I couldn't get on. On the leaked insider tape, Amy Robach says she had the Jeffrey Epstein story three years prior, but her exclusive interview was shelved. Robach says in the leaked tape there was a lot of pressure from Buckingham Palace. According to NPR, the famed lawyer Alan Dershowitz also pressured the network to kill the story. Shortly before the interview was due to air, Harvard Emeritus Law Professor Alan Dershowitz called the network. He was also one of Epstein's lead defense attorneys. We wonder if the story was killed to protect the rich and powerful. It seems few were worried about protecting the women who may have been Jeffrey Epstein's victims. Remember, Epstein was still a free man three years ago. And just to be clear, the interview has still not aired. What is ABC News waiting for or who are they still protecting? See, this is the thing, too, is this happened back in 2016, apparently, right? They had this Epstein story all the way back in 2016. What was happening in 2016? Oh, yeah, we had a giant presidential election with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So why would ABC bury this story? Oh, maybe because of Epstein's connections to Clinton, like she just said, we had everything. We had so much. We had Bill Clinton. We had all this information. That tells you everything you have to know. We already know that um, Hillary Clinton had the media in her pockets the whole time, fixing the election on the Democratic side and in the media. We know that from uh, WikiLeaks, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But I do want to finish this video. Let's keep listening. 
She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. Robach also has no doubt about what happened to Epstein when he finally was arrested and jailed. So do I think he was killed? A hundred percent. Yes, I do. Because you want he made his whole living blackmailing people. Yeah. There were a lot of men in those planes, a lot of men who visited that island, a lot of powerful men who came into that apartment. I knew immediately. <clears throat> and they made it seem as though he made that suicide attempt two weeks earlier, but his lawyers claimed that he was roughed up by his cellmate around the neck. That was all like to plant the seed. And then that's why I really believe it. Like really believe it. The last of the leaked tape has Robach talking about alleged Epstein conspirator Ghislaine Maxwell and how she should be very careful. He's got to have left evidence like, in the, you know, unexplained. Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, who I had all sorts of stuff on her too. I love every. I'm like, it's so funny to hear everyone say her name next. I'm like, oh my God, like I had all the, and everyone's like, who's that? Who cares? I kept getting that. Who cares? Um, she knows everything. She knows, she knows, she should, she should be careful. Well, she was his, like, she went out and recruited all of these girls. She should watch her back. Because if she goes, I mean, I'd have like security guards all around me. The brave insider who leaked this tape to us does not know who at ABC News spiked the story. But someone at ABC does. Our question, who killed the Epstein story at ABC News and why? Help. Well, I got a pretty good idea who the president of ABC certainly did it. But who told him to do it? I mean, the first name that comes to mind is Hillary Clinton, right? The Clintons? Like I said, we already knew from the WikiLeaks and the leaked emails between the DNC and Hillary Clinton that she had ties with MSNBC, ABC, and CNN. She was telling them exactly what to cover and what not to cover. That's exactly what we learned from the WikiLeaks. That's how she handpicked Donald Trump with the Pied Piper campaign. She told the media who to cover and what not to cover. So this has to be connected somehow with Hillary Clinton. That's, I mean, there's so many things pointing to it. Bill Clinton being on F. Jeffrey Epstein's plane like over 20 times. And Glenn Maxwell, the, the girl she was just talking about, who is uh, Jeffrey Epstein's, she, she uh, went and recruited all of the underage girls to his pedophile ring, Glenn Maxwell, that woman was at Chelsea Clinton's wedding in attendance. 
There are photos of Glenn Maxwell at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. Like, holy crap, the Clintons were severely dug in with this Jeffrey Epstein mess. No doubt about it. So, of course, it makes sense that Amy Robach here at ABC starts to dig into this bombshell story and gets it spiked out of nowhere. And she's like, what, what is all this? Why is my story getting spiked? I had all of this three years ago in 2016. Why did it get spiked in 2016? Because you had a Clinton running for president. You had a media company tied to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Of course that story isn't going to come out. Of course. (laughs) That is some wild stuff there. Wild stuff. And if it wasn't for WikiLeaks, we never would have known all about that mess with Hillary Clinton being tied to the media outlets and rigging the DNC primary and handpicking Donald Trump as their opponent. Absolutely insane. And then the the intelligence agencies are are severely going after people like Snowden, people like Julian Assange, the CIA and the NSA, FBI going after these people. For what? For exposing the truth? You had a former CIA director, John McLaughlin, talking uh, in a uh, interview, some kind of panel. I don't know, some kind of CIA panel this last week. You know, you hear a lot of these, uh, you heard a lot of the TV personalities whenever Trump would reference a deep state or whenever someone would reference the deep state, they'd go into a, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. There is no deep state. Well. Here is CIA director John McLaughlin saying, thank God for the deep state. Take a listen to this. Intelligence anyway. But there is something unique. You'd have to agree that now the impeachment inquiry is underway, sparked by a complaint from someone within the intelligence community. It feeds the president's uh, concern and often used term about a deep state. Being well, there to take uh, him know, out. Thank God for the deep state. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, ev- everyone here has seen this progression of diplomats and intelligence officers and White House people trooping up to Capitol Hill right now and saying, these are people who are doing their duty or responding to a higher call. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it doesn't, su- I guess it doesn't, su- well, think about it for a minute. With all of the people who knew what was going on here, it took an intelligence officer to step forward and say something about it, which was the the trigger that then unleashed everything else. Now, why does that happen? What I tell American people why that happens is this is the institution in the U.S. government that with all of its flaws, and it makes mistakes, is institutionally committed to objectivity and to telling the truth. It is, it is one of the few institutions in Washington that is not in a chain of command that makes or implements policy. Its whole job is to speak the truth. It's engraved in marble in the lobby. 
Oh, well, it's engraved in marble, so it must be true. A former CIA director saying that the the CIA is an institution committed to objectivity and telling the truth. He says that with a straight face. What kind of brain-dead function do you have to have to believe that? Of all the history of the CIA, to believe that they are an institution committed to objectivity and telling the truth. (laughs) If you can rub two brain cells together, you know that that's not true. I mean, well, let's just go through a couple of examples of ex-CIA directors talking about how truthful and objective they are. I mean, here's ex-CIA director Mike Pompeo, who's acting Secretary of State right now, but here's him talking about his experience as CIA director. When I was a cadet, what's the first, what's the cadet motto at West Point? You will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. Mm. I I, I was the CIA director. We lied, we cheated, we steal, stole. It was like... We, we, had, we, had entire, we had entire training courses. Uh, it, uh, yeah, we lied, we cheated, we stole. We had entire training courses on that stuff. We were an com- institution committed to objectivity and telling the truth, right? Right? I mean, here's all the way back in 2013. Here's the, uh, the NSA director, James Clapper, openly lying to Congress about the NSA collecting data on American citizens. So what I wanted to see is if you could give me a yes or no answer to the question, does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. There are cases where they could inadvertently perhaps uh, collect, but not, not wittingly. Yeah, if they spilled their coffee and they they went to go catch it and their their finger accidentally hit the key on the keyboard. Oops, I accidentally collected some data on American citizens uh, unwittingly. It wasn't my fault. So there's James NSA Director James Clapper openly lying to Congress. How do we know he was lying? Because just a couple months after his testimony to Congress, Edward Snowden dropped a bombshell. Edward Snowden revealed that the NSA was absolutely illegally spying on American citizens and collecting data, and he provided proof of this to The Guardian and The Washington Post. These terrifying truths were released in a series of stories that highlighted how the NSA collected metadata from phone companies on calls made by U.S. citizens, including in the, included in the bulk data was who called who, from for how long were they on the phone, and when were they on the phone? And other stories showed that the, that internet data was also being mass collected under the uh, different NSA programs. Now, is James is James Clapper in jail for openly lying to Congress in his testimony? No, of course he's not in jail. He's actually got a pretty sweet gig going on MSN and MSNBC and CNN peddling the Russia Gates conspiracy. You may have seen him on those. Uh, News sites, television shows, making his rounds the last couple years. Of course, he's not in prison for openly lying to. Man, unbelievable stuff. 
He openly lies about the crimes that his organization committed. Yet, where is Edward Snowden? He's hiding out in Russia because if he came to the States, they would essentially torture and kill the guy. (laughs) And what was Edward Snowden's crime? For exposing these horrifying truths? That was his crime. Exposing that the NSA was illegally spying and violating the Fourth Amendment on the American citizen. Here's another update on a uh, another person who I regard as a hero, Julian Assange with WikiLeaks. And this is kind of sad, guys, because um, <clears throat> in these last couple stories uh, I've seen of him, and if you go and you look at I think the last time I covered him on this show was uh, when he was first arrested out of the Ecuadorian. They dragged him out of the Ecuadorian embassy. And, um, I mean, he looked pretty bad as far as his health there. Um, But, man, if you look at the, the photos of him now, his health is deteriorating quickly. And I can't help but think that he's either being, like, uh, tortured or poisoned or something along those lines because, man, he looks bad. And I'm going to read a couple of reports here uh, about uh, Julian Assange just had a um, a court date, a court appearance um, in Britain um, for his for his extradition trial to see if he will get extradited to the United States for his quote unquote crimes under the Espionage Act that President Trump and his administration are leveling agent against Julian Assange. Let's start with this report here. Like uh, I I was concerned about his health. And then I see this report here. This report says the United Nations special repertoire on torture. Nils Melzer has issued a chilling warning. If WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange is not urgently released from prison and provided the proper medical care he requires, he may die behind bars in Britain. And take a drink, guys. In accompanying accompanying comments to the Associated Free Press, Melzer said that his statement was based on new medically relevant information. Quote, Mr. Assange's health has entered a downward spiral of progressively severe anxiety, stress, and helplessness typical for persons exposed to prolonged isolation and constant arbitrariness, the UN official said. Melzer, an internationally recognized legal expert on torture and its symptoms, explained, quote, while the precise evolution is difficult to predict with certainty, this pattern of symptoms can quickly develop into life-threatening situ- into a life-threatening situation involving cardiovascular breakdown or nervous collapse. Melzer's statement confirms that the British government acting on behalf of the U.S. administration of President Donald Trump, is seeking nothing less than Assange's psychological and physical destruction. The attempt to extradite Assange to the United States and imprison him for life is one, of, is one prong of this lawless campaign. His indefinite detention in virtually solitary confinement without any access to adequate medical care in Belmash prison dubbed Britain's Guantanamo Bay is another. 
The aim of both is to silence Assange and WikiLeaks and exact the greatest revenge for their exposures of historic war crimes, global diplomatic conspiracies around the world, and mass surveillance operations. Since Assange was illegally expelled from Ecuador's London embassy and arrested by the British police on April 11th, he has been subjected to one, one legal travesty over another. Despite being convicted only of a bogus bail charge, Assange was immediately imprisoned in a maximum security Belmosh prison. In May, Melzer, accompanied by two medical professionals, visited him. They assessed that Assange showed Assange showed all the vis- all the visible symptoms typical for prolonged exposure to psychological torture. By that point, Assange had already been subjected to a nine-year U.S.-led vendetta aided by what Melzer termed as a public mobbing, spearheaded by the corporate media. Assange has been in the Ecuadorian embassy for seven years, where he was deprived of access to sunlight and treatment in a hospital as a result of the threats of the British authorities to arrest him if he left the small building. In the final 18 months of his stay, the embassy was transformed by the Ecuadorian authorities from a place of political refuge into a virtual CIA prison. Assange was relentlessly spied on by the U.S. intelligence agencies while he was denied the right to visitors and to communicate with the outside world. After he visited Assange in May, Melzer sent an official letter to the British authorities demanding that they take, quote, immediate measures for the protection of his health and his dignity. On Friday, Melzer bluntly declared that his warnings had been ignored. He stated, quote, what we have seen from the UK government is outright contempt for Mr. Assange's rights and integrity, despite the media, the, the medicals urge, medical urgency of my appeal and the seriousness of the alleged violations. The UK has not undertaken any measures of investigation, prevention and re- redress required under international law. Britain, Melzer said, had not only violated international convention against torture, it had also denied Assange's fundamental legal rights by preventing him access to legal documents and other means preparing for his defense. Despite the fact that the custodial sentence for the bail charges ended on September 22nd, Melzer wrote that Assange, quote, continues to be detained under oppressive conditions of isolation and surveillance, not justified by his detention status, and subjected to blatant and sustained arbitrariness by the British state and its judiciary. It's it's really bad, guys. And uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to move on to another article about Julian Assange's uh, appearance in court. And um, it's really sad to uh, read about his appearance in court because he's, he's obviously visibly and noticeably struggling um, with not only his physical health, but his mental health as well. So let me read a little bit of this. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange appeared in court Uh, in London in hopes of delaying his U.S. extradition case. The judge told Assange he will not have any extra time to gather evidence to help his case, and the hearing will start in February as planned. 
Reports of the trial sounded grim. Assange was holding back tears when he spoke and told the court that he could not, quote, think properly. Assange was taken to the Ecuadorian, taken from the Ecuadorian embassy in April, charged with skipping bail and sentenced to 50 weeks in Belmarsh prison. His sentence was up September 22nd, but a judge ordered him to remain in prison while he, uh, while he awaited his extradi extradition trial. The U.S. wants to extradite Assange and charge him with 18 counts under the Espionage Act, which could total 125, 175 excuse me, years in prison. The allegation is that Assange helped former Army intelligence analyst and whistleblower Chelsea Manning break into a Pentagon computer. Manning was pardoned under President Obama, but now sits in jail for refusing to testify against WikiLeaks in front of a grand jury. See, this is another story that people don't know either. Chelsea Manning is sitting in a jail cell right now, I believe being fined around $1,000 a day because she refuses to testify against Julian Assange in WikiLeaks. So what does the U.S. government do? She refuses to, to testify against them. So she's just sitting in a jail cell, even though President Obama pardoned her. And what was her what was her crime? Exposing um, U.S. military war crimes being taken place in the Iraq war. That's what she did. And Julian Assange just published the information. There is no evidence that he assisted in hacking a government computer. No evidence. All he did was publish it. He published the information that was given to him by Chelsea Manning, which is protected under the First Amendment and the free press. Or so we think. Assange was asked if he understood the events in the court and that's when he said, not really, I can't think properly. Then he appeared to make his case the best he could. He said, quote, I don't understand how this is equitable. This superpower had 10 years to prepare for this case, and I can't access my writings. It's very difficult where I am to do anything, but these people have unlimited resources. They're saying journalists and whistleblowers are the enemies of the people. They have unfair advantage dealing with documents. They know the interior of my life with my psychologist. They steal my children's DNA. This is not equitable. What is happening here? Since Assange has been held in Belmarsh, there have been reports that he had experienced psychological torture. And then um, it goes on to talk about the, uh, the Nils Melzer report that I just... Uh, talked about earlier Monday morning before a hearing <clears throat> before the hearing Amnesty International released a statement that urged the British government not to extradite Assange quote the British authorities must acknowledge the real risks of human of serious human rights violations Julian Assange would face if sent to the USA and reject the extradition request the UK must comply with the commitment it's already made that he would not be sent anywhere he could face torture or other ill treatment. 
Mark Summers, uh, Julian Assange's attorney, had argued that new evidence in the case only came to light since Assange's arrest six months ago. Summers referred to allegations that the Spanish that Spanish contractors spied on Julian Assange on behalf of the United States government when he was held uh, as an asylum seeker inside the Ecuadorian embassy. Earlier this month, uh, earlier this month, Spain's national court announced that it was investigating whether a Spanish security firm spied on Assange in the embassy with hidden microphones and other devices pa- and passed information to the Ecuadorian and U.S. authorities. That's merely one tentacle of the octopus, but we hope in court to see the magnitude of the evidence task. To be blunt, we need more time. Summers also expressed concern about the conditions under which Assange was being held, including the fact that he had no access to a computer. Quote, it was only last week that we were able to get uh, these documents to him, Barrister said. James Lewis for the U.S. government said that his side was strongly against the further delay in the case. You don't say the U.S. government is strongly against delaying the case. No way. The defense have had five and a half months to prepare that evidence, and we would resist a further extension, he argued. Lewis said that there was no question of the legality of Assange's actions and accused the Australian of knowingly risking the torture, death, or arbitrary detention of U.S. informants. Quote, it's not journalistic. Actually, it's criminal, both in the United States and the United Kingdom, he said. The U.S. government wants to try Assange over the release of thousands of confidential and classified Pentagon files about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, including the names of local informants in those countries. Assange and his supporters say he was acting as a journalist, and the information he released revealed multiple war crimes committed by the coalition forces in those countries. He faces 17 charges of spying and one computer hacking with a maximum sentence of 175 years if found guilty in the United States. The judge barrister refused to give the defense more time or extend the trial length and adjourned the case until November 18th with the full trial still set for February. So I know I just read a lot, but I thought I I just uh, this is such an important story. and I'm going to continue to cover this really closely or or pay attention to it closely and keep you guys informed on the latest updates on this. But it's such an important story. And it really does make me sad to to see Julian Assange go through this because ever since he was taken into custody, his health has really, really down spiraled. Um, And with the, the latest. Uh, reports talking about psychological torture of him being essentially in solitary solitary confinement every day, all day. I mean, that messes with your head, man, and that affects your your health. It's pretty sad to to see this guy go through all this. And <laughs> for what? For exposing war crimes and the crimes the government has exposed. Uh, he's 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 exposed so much. Of the bad of what government does. That's his crime, is telling the truth. Stuff people should know. All right, let's go on to my last story of the episode. So, um, 
in my last episode, I, I covered the the view. I played some of the view on my uh, my episode, and I apologize about that. But you're getting a double dose. And this episode as well, I'm covering the view again. I know, I know. But listen, this is a good one. This is a good one. This is about uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, coming on the view. But to give a little bit of context here, um, in uh, on October thir- on October, let's see, the twenty first, Joy Behar was talking about. Um, the Hillary accusations that Tulsi Gabbard was a Russian asset, right? And she called, uh, well, first she's kind of peddled the, the talking point of, well, she didn't actually deny it. Well, she didn't actually say that. No, I'm not a Russian asset. So she must be a Russian asset, but she also called Tulsi Gabbard a useful idiot here. Just, just listen to her go off on Tulsi Gabbard here. And she's announced her, her, run for the presidency she tweeted back and called hillary a warmonger Mm -hmm. okay so that does not do anything for me she hasn't denied it she hasn't said anything in her tweets how dare you that's outrageous of course i'm not she didn't say that Mm -hmm. she's just going after hillary Mm -hmm. and like you said hillary was right about almost everything (coughs) she's been exonerated (laughs) with that nonsense (laughs) i mean just that on its head on its head well and hillary was right about everything (laughs) God, this lady is so brainwashed. Good Lord. Hillary was right about everything. (laughs) She was certainly right about the Iraq war. She was certainly right about uh, invading and uh, toppling Gaddafi in Libya. She was certainly right about Benghazi. She was very right about the civil war in Syria. And she was most definitely right about being the president of the United States. That they pulled about her, her server already. Uh, so, you know, and this idea that she, she's doing this to get back in the race, that she said that also, uh, Tulsi. I don't buy that either. I don't think Hillary wants to, wants to go through it again. So I, I think that there's something... I don't say that Tulsi is an agent... I just think that she could be a useful idiot the way Trump is a useful idiot to the Russians. Yeah. That they see, they see something. They say, oh, look, a useful idiot. Let's play this. Mm-hmm. And another point, they, the Republican Party knows that they cannot... So there's Joy Behar calling Tulsi Gabbard a useful idiot. A toy for the Russian government. A puppet. So... Tulsi Gabbard actually went on The View and confronted Joy Behar about all of this. <laughs> this was really entertaining to watch. Um, and you really get to see just how, and I do not wince these words, just how retarded Joy Behar is and how dug in she is to her, <laughs> to her opinions. Just listen to what she, and she's sitting right beside Tulsi Gabbard during this conversation. Just listen to this back and forth here. Let's talk about uh, EU Ambassador Sondland changing his testimony yesterday that he had to be refreshed about quid pro quo. And you've been skeptical uh, skeptical, uh, more than a lot of the Democrats about the impeachment inquiry. Were you surprised by what he did yesterday? Uh, Well, look, the facts are important, and uh, we'll get to that. I want to start with something that I think is also important uh, about facts. 
because recently on your show here... I was uh, just going to get to that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Helping you out. You want me to ask you the um, question? Yeah, no, look, some of you have accused me of being a, uh, a traitor to my country, a Russian asset, a Trojan horse, uh, yeah. or a useful, we you a useful idiot, I think was the well, term useful. that you used. Which basically means that I'm uh, naive or, or lack intelligence to term. know what's going they on. They use that. I want to let, let your viewers know exactly who I am. All right. Set the record straight. I am a patriot. I love our country. I am a strong and intelligent woman of color. And I have dedicated almost my entire adult life to protecting the safety, security, and the freedom of all Americans in this country. It was the attacks on 9-11. We're getting a little bit far ahead of ourselves, but uh, Franklin Graham finds you refreshing. He doesn't find me refreshing. Uh, Richard Spencer, the white nationalist leader, says he could vote for you. Joy, this is why I mean, this you're on, you're on Tucker Carlson at least 10 times. Why don't you go on Chris this, Wallace's this is, show? This is why I'm here, because you and other people continue to, to spread these innuendos that have nothing to do with who I am. Well, Hillary Clinton started it, and then you I shot am. back at her, boy. You called her the queen of you, warmongers. You, you double down, unfortunately, you double down on the baseless accusations that she made that strikes at the core of who I am. I'm a soldier. Because of the attacks on 9-11, I enlisted in the military to go after and defeat and destroy the evil that visited us on that day. I've served now for over 16 years, I deployed twice the Middle East during the height of the war, where every single day I saw firsthand the terribly high human cost why I ran for Congress. We actually have the clip of Hillary Clinton, just to put this in context of what we're talking about. Let's, let's take a look at that. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. She's the favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of, you know, sites and bots and other uh, ways of supporting her so far. Uh, and I, I'm, that, that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not, because she's also a Russian uh, asset. So Really? I mean, this is outrageous. This is outrageous and offensive on so many levels. I've served as a member of Congress now for almost seven years, receiving high-level national security and intelligence briefings, serving on the Foreign Affairs Committee, the Armed Services Committee, the Homeland Security Committee, working to ensure the safety and security of the people of this country. This is why I'm running for president, to continue that commitment of service. So are you surprised, though, that when people see bots and things and all the things that we've sort of been seeing heading you away, uh, that people have these questions? Because she's not the only one. Hillary, I don't think, is the only one. So what she's saying is she feels they are grooming you. You're saying nobody's grooming me. I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm a soldier and a patriot. It, it's offensive to me as a soldier, as an American, as a member of Congress, as a veteran, and frankly, as a woman, to be so demeaned in such a way. But you called her the personification in, of rock. So demeaned She's a woman in such too. a way. Well, I'm pointing to the fact that she has continued this legacy of being the world's police around the world that has waged wars costing the lives of thousands of my brothers and sisters in uniform. I'm speaking out against that and What's to, your change, evidence that? to change... Well, can I, are you serious? What's your evidence of that? I served in the war Not in you. Iraq. How are you saying that, that she's, exactly. she's a warmonger? I served in the war in Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> she championed 
She championed a regime change war in Libya. Did you not in believe Libya. in that war? I believe the lies that were told to us. Well, so did she. <laughs> no, she told the lies about the war. You dense idiot. She didn't believe Hillary Clinton didn't believe the lies about the Iraq war. She was there peddling them. It, it is it is indisputable. It is indisputable to say anything other than the fact well, this guy, that Hillary, let me just close this out that Hillary Clinton throughout her career has led with a foreign policy of interventionism mm -hmm. and being the world's police going and toppling dictators in other countries that has caused such destruction and loss of life I'm against that I'm running for president to change that rather than actually debate me on the issues she and others are resorting to these smear tactic campaigns, seeking to undermine me, smear my character, and sending a message to anyone who dissents, stand, toe the line, or you too will be smeared. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. This is how, this is how the Democratic Party, and really, this goes across party lines, by the way, this is how you treat people who are against war, even war veterans. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable stuff from Joy Behar there. You definitely can't see her bias. She's definitely not a 100% propaganda machine sitting at that table. The whole show is a 100% propaganda machine. I mean, come on. That, that thing is a joke. <laughs> but that does it for our show, everybody. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, be sure to uh, give us a rating. We're located on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Peace. Peace.